Hey guys, Cable here, and this week's podcast is proudly brought to you by Pyro Putty. This is a product that uh, I'm very excited about as far as reinventing the wheel when it comes to fire starting technology. You can get Pyro Putty wet, it's still going to light. You can attach it to a wet log, it's going to burn long enough to start a fire on that wet wood. So when it comes to boosting morale in the backcountry, what what is better than a a warm fire, right? There's nothing. You get home from a long day, back to camp. You've been chasing elk through the mountains or mule deer or whatever for you know, from sunup to sundown. You're cold and you're wet, and you can't get a fire started. Not because you don't have a fire starter, but because that fire starter doesn't do the job. Well, Pyro Putty does, and you can find it at pyroputty.com. It's a size of about a can of dip. That's all it is. And inside that can of dip, you got a seven-hour burn time. You put a, a piece the size of a nickel on a stick, and it's going to burn for 8 to 10 minutes. It's Pyro Putty. You need it in your backcountry kit. It's going to boost morale. Could save your life. You never know. Uh, but you can find it at pyroputty.com. There was a time I knew you. You knew me. There was nothing in between as far as we could see. Don't you know I need my true love? My truest friend I got that Safari Club. That's a jam right there. Old Black Magic. Brand new stuff from Josh Ritter. I think we'll just let that one play out. Love that guitar at the end of that tune. My wife calls it Racket. I believe Sweet Audio Nectar is a more accurate description. Uh, anyway, thank you guys and gals for being here today. We've got a great show lined up for you as we are officially into the doldrums of summer. Um, I love outdoor recreation. 24 7 365 but if i had to choose the least favorite time of the year i'd say it's about right now most of the spawns have come and gone um really the only thing to hunt around here anyway is exotics and hogs and uh yeah it's time to wet a line and other than that barbecue grill out and then just stay indoors to beat the heat <laughs> around here anyway so uh but September 1st in dove season will be here before you know it. And then it's archery elk and early teal and resident Canada geese. All that fun stuff firing up there in September as well. Anyway, uh, what is on the docket for today? Let me tell you about it. You know what to do. Pull up a stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old thermos. Yes, sir, that green Stanley that still has mud caked on it from duck seasons that have come and gone. Because uh, we're ready to rock and roll, and off the top, we're going to talk some shark conservation with One Ocean Diving's Kaylee Grant, a uh, shark naturalist and dive instructor on Oahu, Hawaii's Big Island. And not only is her life's work shark conservation, um, but she has done some incredible stuff like free diving with a 22-foot great white, and, you know... Just getting in the water with your average 15-foot tiger shark, that's no big deal. That's thats just an average day uh, for one ocean diving. It's incredible. And I'm not talking about in a cage, friends. I'm talking about mano a mano with these apex predators. That's stuff that uh, yours truly, yeah, give me the cage, right? <laughs> that's just 
uh, insane, but I respect it. And that's, uh, that's their, that's her calling. And, uh, we'll talk a little bit about that stuff. Uh, also shark fin soup and other possible factors that are decimating our oceans, shark populations. Uh, so cool stuff coming up with Kaylee. Then we will head to Alaska and talk black bear hunting with our good friend, Mark Boardman of Vortex Optics. He just returned from a bucket list hunt, uh, hunting black bear on Prince of Wales Island. And get this, it is a public land draw hunt. You might not know that. It's also a lot more affordable than people realize. So if Alaska's on your bucket list, you want to hunt black bear? Oh, there's other species you can hunt too, but uh, it's actually not that far-fetched. So Mark will be here to discuss that hunt, plus get into some of the latest products and innovations from Vortex's stellar lineup of optics. Uh, so that's coming up. And then at the bottom of the hour, we will be joined by Bless, and I would tell you his last name, but I only know him as Bless. And Bless is a tracker with the John X Safaris team. Not not my tracker, not Carl's, uh, you know, tracker, but he works for one of the other PHs, Greg. Um, but Bless speaks the best English out of uh, all of the trackers. And I kind of want to take a look at what goes into, you know, a tracker's life. And do they like their job? Um what what does hunting facilitate for their family as far as financial security? Now, all of those factors. What about physical fitness? We'll, we'll discuss all of that with Bless here at the bottom of the hour. Should be interesting to get um, the let's just it's the other side of the coin. A native um, villager who works for uh, Johnic Safaris as a tracker and Skinner. Uh, what about what about the skinning? aspect of the job do they do they like that part you might be surprised by his answer uh, all that is coming up on today's show going to be a good one guarantee you that um, let's do this we've got so much to get into today let's let's do a quick giveaway i've got a bison coolers um tumbler i think it's a 24 ounce tumbler perfect for you know if you don't have a stanley <laughs> or you want to replace it or maybe you just want uh, something for the truck you know maybe not as much for in the duck blind, uh, but this is perfect for that. I guess you could put a mixed drink or maybe even a beer in there if you're into that kind of stuff as well. I'd certainly see all the parents on Halloween seem to be walking around with these uh, bisons or yetis or arctics, whatever, uh, but these tumblers are quite convenient. I'm not going to say whether or not I have ever put a mixed drink in there, but I haven't today. <laughs> and uh, anyway, email in the word, let's just say conservation. Email conservation to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. We'll get you entered into the Bison Tumblr giveaway. Also throw in a Lone Star Outdoor Show sticker uh, in the prize pack as well. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk all things shark conservation and getting your rocks off by free diving with the apex predators of the deep. And we do that with One Ocean's Katie Grant right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I wish that I was a chunk of coal Way down deep in the belly of my soul I'd sparkle and I'd shine I might be a diamond in my own sweet time And I wish I was a chunk of coal
Are you tired of waking up at 2 a.m. to fight public land skybusters? Cable here for Three Crow Outfitters and their new North Texas Duck Club, which consists of over 3,000 acres and 40 water bodies throughout Ellis and Navarro counties. Three Crow does the planting, provides metal blinds, decoys, and posts a weekly scouting report. All you and your buddies do is reserve the property you want and show up to hunt. This opportunity is limited to 10 four-person memberships, so for the waterfowling experience of your lifetime, go to 3curl.com or call 214-641-8097 today. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffair for Hoffair's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffair's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Pike County, Illinois, and the surrounding area is hallowed ground for whitetail hunters. And with 21 years' experience, Golden Triangle Whitetails is the oldest outfitter in the state. Spread out over 14,000 acres, they have 350 acres of food plots, 500 tree stands, and over 80 box blinds. The guides take pride in having hunters harvest giant Midwest bucks. Golden Triangle Whitetail hunts the Illinois archery, shotgun, and muzzleloader season. They have a full-time chef and excellent lodging. Book your whitetail hunt of a lifetime by going to www.goldentrianglewhitetail.com today. Mother, Mother Ocean, I have heard you call, wanted to sail upon your waters since I was three feet tall, you've seen it all. Cable Smith, you've welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club, Watch classic Jimmy Buffett tune there, a pirate looks at 40. Which will segue us nicely into our next topic here, as we're going to talk some shark conservation. Specifically, no, and I don't know how the overall global shark population looks. I know I've interviewed multiple biologists within our Texas Parks and Wildlife Coastal Fisheries Division over the years, and our shark populations are uh, very healthy by and large. But when you talk about Shark populations that are, let's just say, in closer proximity to Asia and their insatiable lust for shark fin soup, well, then you're going to have issues. And so we're going to head over to Hawaii's Big Island and check in with One Ocean Diving's Kaylee Grant here in just a second. But first, this segment is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. They put their money where their mouth is. I'm a proud member. And I encourage you to join. It's a group of folks who are passionate about three things. Education, hunter's rights, and of course, conservation. For more info, check us out at biggame.org. Okay, with that being said, let's bring her on right now. She is a shark naturalist and dive instructor with One Ocean Diving. It is my pleasure to welcome Kaylee Grant to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. This is obviously a message super important to us. So any opportunity we get to talk about sharks, we love it. <laughs> Absolutely. So first of all, let's start with um, what, what it is that you exactly do for One Ocean Diving. Um, and, and talk a little bit about the, uh, the company. I don't know if it's a company or a nonprofit, to be honest with you. Um, but talk a little bit about One Ocean and, and its purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so our organization was co-founded by uh, Juan Oliphant and Ocean Ramsey, both together, 
about seven years ago now, but it's been a passion project for them for, you know, a lifetime, essentially, Mm -hmm. um, with that, you know, strong passion for sharks. So we do have many different aspects. You know, we have one ocean diving, um, but we also do have a nonprofit associated as well called Water Inspired. Uh, But with both of those together, we love to take people diving every single day with sharks um, in an effort to change people's perceptions about the animals you wouldn't you would be surprised at how many people come on the boat actually conquering a fear that they're actually terrified of sharks and they want to come out and you know conquer that fear and it instantly turns people into fascination which is really amazing that I get to do that I get to help facilitate people and their you know introduce them to these amazing animals that is you know not always something that you get to meet firsthand face to face if you will um usually animals that you kind of see from tv or they instill that fear with the media and jaws and the shallows and 47 meters down and all of that so that's definitely what we want to sort of conquer and be in an effort to get people to change those perceptions about the animals so that they do actually want to save and protect them so it's all for shark conservation as far as one ocean diving and you know just enjoying the water and um, meeting sharks and things like that. But what we also have is our nonprofit, uh, Water Inspired, where we will um, go out to schools and teach kids about sharks. So we do that all locally, but we also have ambassadors all over the world that are out doing that in their own communities, which is really amazing because, you know, the next generation is super important uh, about our planet as a whole. As well as we also have uh, reef and beach cleanups and all different conservation projects that we support, different campaigns and such around the world. Um, and, you know, cleaning up single-use plastic off of our beaches and waterways is incredibly important as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we also have a research aspect of our organization, One Ocean Research, which is one of my favorite parts because that's super important as well to understand these animals a little bit more. We kind of focus locally for our research, so we focus out here at our dive sites. And while we take people out, we kind of explain how they're citizen scientists to us and how they're contributing to the research as well. The amazing part is that One Ocean Diving can fund its own research, having people come out and want to come dive with us. So we can just collect data from every single dive, same times of day, same uh, dive sites. And we monitor our populations of sharks out here, as well as uh, watch the shark behavior and try to learn a little bit more so that we can put out a safer message to the general public of how you would interact with a shark and what are those signs that you kind of look for if they are being a bit more... Well, I'm one of those people, or... Kaylee, that's like, I don't know if I want to interact with a shark, so I need to come diving with <laughs> you to figure this out. Yeah. So I've seen on your Instagram that you're, I mean, like diving with great whites and stuff like that and, and pretty close. Uh, <laughs> in some instances, um, Ocean, Ramsey even like touching them. I mean, like you guys... Uh, I'm thinking that shark's like, you know, 15 feet long and, uh, there's a, you know, five foot eight lady next to it. They'd <laughs> easily be devoured in one bite, you know? Uh, yeah, it's really fascinating. She was, um, 22 feet, 22 feet. Inside. Good God. So she was, she was huge and very, very girthy. You would say yeah. probably pregnant, very full on whale, but as a disclaimer, we don't, recommend anyone without experience or under the guidance of a professional that has worked with these animals for years 
to go out and attempt anything like that. <laughs> right, right. And, and, yeah, I don't. I, even with you, I'd probably, I'd probably just stand on the sidelines and, and uh, just to kind of watch you observe Which you. Do. It's super <laughs> safe. Yeah, super safe and honestly fine. Um, but it has to be said that this particular interaction was um, a very different case than most would be. Uh, we heard the news of a dead whale off of our island. And so we wanted to monitor the shark, see what tigers, if any of our previously ID'd sharks were in the area, were they coming up, were they feeding, how were they interacting with one another, and kind of just study them, see that a bit more. But being that the dead whale was so far offshore, um, a very, very rare sighting in Hawaii is great white, so we would have never expected that. Um, you'll hear about it just super rare, super randomly. They don't really, they're not really around here very much as far as we know, or at mm -hmm. least not coming up to the surface where we can see them. They're staying really deep and really far off where it's cold. So this one was coming up to feed, and it, it would sound like it would be so scary. Um, and to say that I wasn't nervous would be a lie. It was my first <laughs> great way. Um, but it was a very peaceful experience. Really, I don't think um, that any particular shark would interact like this big lady did. But she was very um, full on whale. The dead whale was right there. Honestly. Her movements were so slow. She was so girthy. She was so, um, you know, just focused on, hey, I'm here to feed on this dead whale. There's no way she's going to chase around a bunch of malnourished dolphins like we look yeah. <laughs> at, at, like we look like at that moment to her. She's like, okay, these are just, you know, this isn't worth my time. I'm going to come over here and just have the easy peasy buffet. And I don't want to expend a lot of energy. I want to conserve my energy for, you know, especially if she's pregnant and whatnot. So it was beautiful, actually. And real dolphins did show up, so that's how mellow it was. <laughs> so, you, so you're a dive instructor, and so like if I wanted to come and have that experience, you know, I could I could do something similar, maybe not with the 22 foot great white, <laughs> but uh, you guys get a lot of tiger sharks, I'm sure, in Hawaii. Yes, we do. Oh my gosh, tiger sharks. Uh, yes, we can't promise you a 22 foot great white whatsoever. That was like a once in a lifetime. I should have retired right then and there because. <laughs> I may never be able to see that again. But um, we do see tiger sharks more frequently August to November is mm -hmm. when we get larger females coming into these areas, uh, most likely uh, to give birth to their pups. But they're my favorite species to introduce people to because I just think they're absolutely beautiful. Um, sometimes you just see these patterns in nature and it's kind of awe-inspiring. And that's basically how I feel about their beautiful stripes as well as um, their demeanor to me is the most cautious, um, shy, and a little bit derpy of all the sharks. So I really love them for that. And so, you know, they are one of the most feared predators in the ocean, potentially the world in general. So to introduce people that and they get to see that. And we do have 100% perfect safety records, so nothing's ever happened. And, uh, you know, it really does help facilitate a change in perception, which is our main goal. So. Sure. Well, so let's talk about the risks or the the issues facing uh, shark populations. And and I think it's probably a regional thing. Like I've, I've interviewed our Texas Parks and Wildlife Coastal Fisheries Director. And off the coast of Texas, most of our shark, po uh, shark populations are doing pretty well. I don't, I know that that's not the case in some places. So what is the number one threat? Is it Asia's demand for shark fin soup that is really the uh, the elephant in the room as far as 
global yeah. shark populations? To take it back, sort of, um, one of the things that is threatening shark populations, even in the U.S., everywhere, is just commercialized fishing. So mm -hmm. the way that we fish nowadays, our methods, you know, human populations growing, technology advancing, we're getting really good at just being able to wipe out everything that we need and get it to people all over the world and sell it and whatnot. So um, with that, our methods of fishing are very detrimental to the ocean because most of them um, will take everything in that area indiscriminately. Methods like trawling, you know, so you like to eat a lot of shrimp, things found on the bottom. Um, there's different drift nets. There is long lining. Long lining is where they'll put out miles and miles and miles. Like I'm talking over a hundred miles of thousands of baited hooks. And so maybe you're after tuna on that vessel, but you're going to get anything in the area that's interested in that bait. Even a seabird will dive down to check it out, you know, dolphins, whales, and of course sharks. I think that might be a third world issue. I'm not saying that there isn't, uh, aren't developed countries that do that, but like, for example, in the Gulf of Mexico, um, we have a lot of Mexican commercial fishermen that use that long lining technique. And like you said, it doesn't matter what they catch. If they catch it, it's, it's dead. And then they're, you know, it's being, you know, shipped off to market. There is 100% uh, long lining that is all over America, even including here in Hawaii. Um, but yeah, there were there will be other countries that will come in and send their long liners off. And as long as it's essentially not in Hawaii waters, quote unquote, which is a very short amount of time. And this goes for any state that's along the coast. It's literally only like three miles out or so. So you go beyond that and you're, you know, you go out a little bit further, you're pretty much good to go. So, yeah, um, yeah like I know in French Polynesia, a place like that, they do have different Chinese coming in, um, longliners. And so, yeah, other countries are definitely doing that as well. But we even in the U.S. do use longlining as a method. Um, so that's going to be a huge detriment, detriment right, because uh, sharks are going to be the number one bycatch. And so what you're looking at there is more the open ocean sharks, the ones mm -hmm. that do stay farther offshore where these guys are going into that open water, same place that you would, uh, you know, longline for tuna. And, you know, that's the most popular and whatnot. But, of course, for sharks, and you already mentioned it, is shark fin soup. That is still a huge issue um and a lot of people think because the awareness is being raised that the issue is stopping but unfortunately it's not i do have you know a lot of friends that visit hong kong and indonesia and it's all over the internet it's all over even instagram and it's it's really easy to find you can just go up to these fisheries um in taiwan anywhere and just see this for yourself um in hong kong you can walk down certain streets and there are bags and bags of shark fins, manta ray gills. You can see, see thousands upon thousands um, just any day of the week. So it is still uh, a really huge issue. And um, I do, you know, uh, see a lot of friends of mine that are in conservation as well. And they're taking these videos sneakily on their Instagrams, you know, and, shark, and the um, store vendors are coming up, getting upset and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. it's still a really, really uh, big issue for sure. Okay. Are there, like, what species, if you had to say, here's the top two or three, are, are globally more at risk than, than others and uh, endangered of either becoming, um, well, endangered or, or perhaps going extinct if uh, things don't shift in the opposite direction? Yeah, so uh, we're seeing a big loss of the animals that are hanging out in that deeper water where they are probably going 
two fin for the sharks. So I know oceanic white tips um, have been recently uh, considered endangered. Uh, we're seeing mako sharks drastically depleting and their even size getting smaller and smaller because all those larger females that are able to reproduce are getting wiped out. Um, but really, it could be any shark. It depends on the area where you're at. Uh, scalloped hammerhead sharks are very susceptible to dying on a line. So even if they get cut off of a fishing line and you see them swim away, they can die later from a buildup of lactic acid. So the problem is that comes with sharks, um, whereas maybe it doesn't affect fish populations in the same way with the long lining is uh, that sharks do have a slower reproductive rate. So they're not able to keep up uh, with the, how rapid we are fishing them out. Whereas some fish populations, you know, do have a better chance of uh, repopulating a little bit better. Okay. So habitat loss and, and global warming, not really factors here. It's more of a uh, commercial fishing impact for shark fin soup. And then the bycatch, the unintentional bycatch of sharks, whether that's on long lines or commercial fishing vessels targeting tuna or other um, sought-after sport fish, those are the key elements that are affecting shark populations. Let's do this, Kaylee. We're going to take a quick break, come back, and I want to find out you know, just how green you really are. I don't know if you eat meat or seafood or whatever or what your thoughts on that are, um, but I certainly am interested to find out. And then also, what do you think should be done as far as, uh, from a global standpoint, how can we help curb the declining shark populations in our oceans? Uh, sound good? That's totally fine. Excellent. And that segment proudly brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and the Damn Fish Feeder. You know what to do. If you've got a pond or stock tank on your property, you're trying to grow those big bass, catfish, or crappie, you need the Damn Fish Feeder. You put it on your damn dam. And you feed your damn fish. It's the damn fish feeder. You can find it as well as All Seasons' entire lineup of blinds and deer feeders right there at allseasonsfeeders.com. We'll continue our shark conservation discussion after the break right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. All right, Semper Fi, do or die, hold them high at eight tonight. Gunnery Sergeant R. Lee Ermey here. Thanks for listening to the Lone Star Outdoors. It's been so long since I felt at home. I've forgotten what it feels like to be alone. Anywhere. 
That's the music of Brent Cobb by request. Come home soon. The name of that one. I'm Cable Smith, by the way. Thank you so much for being here as we are waist deep in shark conservation here today. We've still got Kaylee Grant of One Ocean Diving, a shark naturalist and conservationist on the line with us. Joining us all the way from Hawaii. Um, before we get back into it with Kaylee, however, this segment of the show proudly brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Be sure to grab a 12-pack of the Lone Star 24-7, uh, only 2.1% alcohol and under 60 calories. It's Lone Star 24-7, Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. And with that being said, uh, let's get back into it here with Kaylee, uh, who was nice enough to stick around. And we'll find out just how green you are, Kaylee, because of this next question. Um, I have a feeling I know the answer, but I still think there is a place for shark fishing and uh, even shark consumption on a limited basis. I mean, it's a resource. It's here for us to use, but not abuse. And my opinion largely comes from the knowledge that sharks are pretty much non-migratory. Now, some of the bigger ones, they like great whites, I'm sure they migrate. Uh, but like our black tips and hammerheads off the coast of Texas, they're pretty much here year-round. So I have no issue with folks wanting to pursue those recreationally. And if they want to keep a couple to eat, fine with that too. Uh, what is your mindset as a full-time shark naturalist? Well, of course, I'm biased, so I would love both <laughs> global, regional, you know, any protection. But again, it really um, just depends on the species. Um, some will stay sort of in uh, an area like tiger sharks will, that are out here in Hawaii will stay in the Hawaiian Islands area, you know, but there are obviously shark species that are just spanning the open ocean. They're in really deep water and they can kind of go anywhere. So, uh, yeah, it does really affect if you have fishing in one area, but that, not the other, but then that species is going to move over there and get killed anyway. So, yeah. uh, you know, these places really need to uh, work together, ideally, globally. Um, and, yeah, it's really, it's really sad to see um, not like a united front. You know what I mean? And it, it's sad because it does happen a lot in third world countries where these larger countries will come in and exploit their natural resources. And, um, yeah, oh, yeah, it's really sad just for the greed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it, like if you take it to um, land animals, it's like the same thing with rhinos and elephants, you know. Um, yeah. Once again, going back to Asia's lust for rhino horn, uh, kind of like the shark fin soup thing um yeah it's, it's such a small portion of their body to be killed for oh, and yeah. it's just essentially a trophy item so it's just that you know it's like a flaunting greed um symbol of wealth thing that really we don't need and especially with the shark fins it's been proven time again to have no medicinal purposes no nutritional value um it's who would be the last that, part of a shark i'd want to eat you know, like, give me a steak. If I wanted to eat a shark, give me a shark steak, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. you would think, like, what is the cartilage? What is, what's the point? They used to believe it could cure cancer, but obviously that's been, you know, so scientifically proven false, and the cartilage doesn't even add any flavor. Even if you're interested in the flavor, they're just using chicken, simple chicken broth, beef broth, and flavorings for nothing that has to do with the shark. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's the same with rhino horn. It's made out of hair, and they grind it up and think it's going to make their wiener hard. You know, it's just uh, <laughs> or cure, cure and cancer. And with shark fins, it's the opposite. It actually causes impotence as well as <laughs> loss of vision and hearing and motor skills because it has really high levels of mercury. So uh-huh. they're doing quite the opposite. So I guess nature is finding revenge in some way. <laughs> Well, let me ask you this, uh, Kaylee. Are are you someone who likes to eat other types of seafood? And um, I'm very lucky because I live in Hawaii. So I'm friends with a lot of local fishermen because obviously, yes, uh, best thing that you can do is just not eat seafood at all, right? That is the best way to conserve our oceans. But you know, we do like to enjoy seafood. So how do we do that more sustainably? Um, If you do live around a coastal area, you know, you can buy from local fishermen, which is a lot better than long line fishing because, um, you know, it's just a couple guys going out in a way smaller vessel that maybe they have like five lines in the water, they're trolling. If they catch something that they're not after, like a shark or like anything, any species that they don't want, they can easily just cut it loose, let it go, you know. Um, also, we have a lot of spear fishermen out here, which is the most sustainable way to fish. You're going out, you are actually hunting your own food. Mm-hmm. Um, that goes the same way with land animals as well. Most sustainable way to do that, go out and hunt your own deer or whatever it is. Um, but say you live middle America or somewhere just completely landlocked, not by a coast, and you still want to eat seafood. There's a great resource created by the Monterey Bay Aquarium. It's called seafoodwatch.org. You can go on the website or they even have an app. You can just download the app. It's called Seafood Watch. And then if you want to eat something, you can at least make a sustainable choice. So you can plug in uh, what you're going to eat and it will essentially give you more information. Okay, where are you located? Um, Can you find out what method it was, what species? And it will give you a rating of how sustainable it is. So it doesn't mean that you have to fully say no, although that is, of course, like the best option. Um, Again, for me, I'm super lucky because uh, my husband uh, goes out and fishes so we can catch kind of our own things and we try to make those sustainable choices. And a lot of the restaurants around here, you can actually go in and ask them, hey, is this local caught? Is a yeah. long line, and uh, a lot of times it's local caught. But if you're anywhere by a coast, you can definitely ask a restaurant. They like, don't feel embarrassed or whatnot to say to ask them. They should know where their food is coming from, and if they don't, and they're serving it to you, then you might not want to eat there anyway. So. Well, the first thing I do when I go to the coast is I find the local bait shop, and then usually if people bring in bait in, that's where the, the fishermen are bringing the, their fresh catch in as well. And uh, yeah. you get all kinds of fresh caught locally, you know, caught stuff there. You can buy it. It's cheaper. It's fresher. It cuts out the middleman. It helps support local economy as well. So, and then you can buy bait, uh, too, because I like to go fishing. You know, I, I, I'm happy with your answer here because I was a little out of the things I wanted to ask you today. I was like, well, this is because, you know, this is a hunting and fishing talk show. Uh, of course, we focus on conservation, but this was a little bit more, I would just say, green interview than we normally uh do on the show yeah and that's fine you got to be realistic like it like a lot of people ask me if i'm vegetarian like no i'm not fully vegetarian but i think it's great because you can offer people like okay you don't have to be black or white do a meatless monday you know do two meals of your day without meat and different things like that so i think that's um 
Well, I do meat only Monday, but to each their own. <laughs> but, um, Whatever floats your boat, but there are ways to better impact the environment, you know, and yeah. it doesn't have to be fully black or white. So I kind of like the meat in the middle. Sure, sure. Well, you know, but if I do meat only Monday, it's because, it's you know, it's something that I went out and harvested myself. I got a freezer full and of venison. And that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so as we wrap things up here, um, what, how, how do you guys at One Ocean conduct research that contributes to shark conservation? Well, so one thing that we've been focusing on for the last several years is collecting information on our local sharks and our shark population, because what we really want to do is get protection for our animals out here in Hawaii. This is our backyard, so we're, we're, we're starting here, although we do support, you know, any type of conservation efforts from organizations all over the world, however we can. Um, but unfortunately, the last three years, you know how politics goes. We've been trying to get this bill passed for protection of sharks and rays in Hawaiian waters, which is just uh, from three miles in. Mm -hmm. And the bill has kind of gotten brought down. And what we've sort of found potentially is that uh, politicians and fishermen maybe could be a little bit closer than than we once thought. So mm -hmm. uh, we're trying to, you know, just keep raising that awareness and potentially get more of the public on our side want to protect the shark populations out here because the amazing thing is with studies all around the world is that they've found that healthy predator not even just sharks say you're saying on land like uh wolves in yellowstone you know and things like that the healthier the predator population is actually healthier in all the trophic levels below it um and it keeps the ecosystem there in balance so they're at the top of the trophic level. They keep everything below them functioning properly. Um, sharks included. It actually brings about more fish and a healthier population, more fish out there for fishermen. So if we could all work together, it's really just about education is what it comes down to. Um, but if you want a really good example of this, there's a YouTube video. It's how the wolves changed the river. When they reintroduced wolves, um, it actually brought back uh, I don't know exactly what the steps were, but it brought back a healthier ecosystem. Uh, I believe it was Yellowstone National Park. Mm -hmm. so well, it's, I think it's kind of cool to see. There's a fine line that you have to walk between, like putting one species on a pedestal above another. I'm all for yeah. protecting the like. Okay, sharks are targeted for shark fin soup. Wolves are targeted because of uh, you know ranchers and and hunters. As far as like valuing one species over another, I'm, I try to keep it pretty simple and say no one species is really more important than another Every, everyone yeah it's all in balance it's yeah. all connected yeah well so if so you want to um i just see with sharks is that uh since they reproduce so much slower the fishing and hunting of sharks it's really hard for that population to come back sure sure well i understand that um so if you want to plug the uh, one ocean uh, website or social media outlets and then give us your your social as well Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. Yeah, um, you guys can follow along with everything I have going on with at mermaid underscore Kaylee on Instagram. But if you want to come dive with us, please do at any time. Our Instagram is just at One Ocean Diving. Super simple. If you're ever out here in Hawaii, I would love to introduce you guys to sharks. You can book online, oneoceandiving.com. <laughs> awesome. Well, I have not been to Hawaii since I was in 10th grade, so... Uh, it's time. You're yeah, due. Yeah, maybe the wife and I will come and... I don't know if I can convince her to go uh, diving with the uh, tiger shark, but uh, as long as you're there taking care of me, maybe. It's I'm... okay. You can ride on the boat, and if she decides to get in, that's totally fine. We have ride-along options for those people that just want to observe from the boat, and that's totally fine. Yeah. Well, Kaylee, thanks so much. It was uh, certainly a pleasure visiting with you today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Mahalo. <laughs> Bye. Thank you.
So there she goes, Kaylee Grant of One Ocean Diving. Uh, obviously, that mindset a little more green than the ideals that I personally have. But I do believe that uh, shark conservation is necessary. And I am completely against depleting our oceans of these magnificent apex predators of the deep out of just a sheer disregard uh, for the resource and largely once again going back to Asia's demand for shark fin soup. Asia needs to get their you-know-what together. When science tells you that there's no medicinal value in these animals like sharks, uh, shark fins, rhino horns, and that they're not going to give you an erection that lasts eight hours, I mean, hell, there's already Viagra for that. <laughs> so I, 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 it's mind-blowing. It's like trying to talk sense into an anti-hunter, you know? Uh, the facts and the science is right there, and you can tell them till you're blue in the face, but they don't want to hear it. So it's truly, it's a modern mystery that I just can't wrap my mind around, to be honest with you. Uh, that segment of the show proudly brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit, you know, land. The one thing they're not making anymore, but we all want it. So if you're ready to take the next step, make that dream a reality whether you want it for recreating, running cattle, hunting, fishing, or just to get the hell out of the big city, Lone Star Ag Credit has you covered, and you can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. When we come back, we'll check in with our good friend Mark Boardman of Vortex Optics. He just returned from a bucket list public land black bear hunt on Alaska's Prince of Wales Island. We discuss next, as well as the latest and greatest from Vortex right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Well, I'll twist for you, baby. Hit a rip for you, baby. Take another shot. Get lit for you, baby. Oh, it's a quarter to four. Do we have any more? Country dancing, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith here with you today. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. And uh, Zane Williams and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago while turkey hunting. I guess it's been a couple months now, but when did cocaine (laughs) become relevant in country music again? I mean, obviously, guys like Johnny and Waylon and Merle and even Hank Jr., did or wrote about you know cocaine use and then it kind of disappeared for a while a couple decades you don't hear anything about it now we've got guys like paul and tyler childers and co wetzel everybody even our good friend parker mccollum references cocaine in one of his songs whether they're really doing a bunch of blow i don't know don't really care to be honest with you 
uh, as long as they keep making great music. <laughs> but certainly, Zane and I found it to be interesting, though. So anyway, we're all set to head to Alaska for a bucket list black bear hunt with our good friend Mark Boardman of Vortex Optics. But before we do that, this segment is proudly brought to you by First Light's Corgit Guide Short. And whether you're on the lake chasing crappie or in the backcountry shed hunting, or maybe you're spending the weekend at the deer lease doing chores and filling feeders, the Corgit Guide Short offers you the comfort and performance that you've come to expect from First Light. So from the fish skinning shack to the bar, the Corgit Guide Short has you covered. You can find it at firstlight.com. First Light, go further, stay longer. Well, what do y'all say we bring on our next guest, a longtime friend of the show, joining us now to talk spring black bear hunting and uh, the latest from Vortex Optics. It's our old pal, Mark Boardman. Yeah, thanks, Cable. How you doing? Oh, man, I can't complain. Can't complain. I could uh, do without the 100-degree weather, uh, but that's the price of doing business in Texas. And Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess you guys are hot and dry, and we're a little bit wet here. It seems like we, there's a lot of folks around here from the egg perspective. They don't have their fields in like they'd like, and everything is just a little bit late with all the rain we've had. So Yeah. Yeah. What if is the what is the not one thing? It's another. What's the average temperature in Wisconsin in June? You know, I'd say generally pretty pleasant. I mean, off the top of my head, I'm not certain, but I think you get a lot of you know 70s, low 80s stuff like that. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. So, but but yeah, like I said, lately it's just been a lot of rain, rain, and more rain. A little bits of sun in between. Yes, yeah, I don't know if I would trade the late. I mean, pretty brutal winters. I think I would just rather be hot for three months out of the year. <laughs> uh, you know, as Southerners, that cold weather, I'm looking for the, the, you know, I'm putting as much first light gear as I possibly can. If it's like, even if it's like 40 degrees, y'all probably laugh at us, but. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You see, you see a cloud, you reach for that puffy jacket. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That is right. Well, hey, let's, uh, we got a lot to get into. You guys have some, well, I know one new thing that we're going to hit on. Uh, and then a couple other things that are doing really well that are, have been out for a little while, but uh, I mean, it seems like everyone that I've talked to when it comes to the Fury and now the uh, the new range uh, Ranger. Well, it's not a Ranger; it's the uh, Razor Four Thousand Rangefinder. So, yeah, so yep, brand new Rangefinder, brand new series. I guess it's, you know, if you want to call it a series, it's a series of one. But yeah, the Razer HD 4000 rangefinder is a really, really um, impressive handheld rangefinder. We're super excited about it. Oh yeah, uh, and I actually just got it in time to go uh, take it to Africa. So that was my first time playing around with it. And, awesome. Uh, yeah, and we'll talk about it. We'll talk about that in detail in a second. But I do want to hit on your bear hunt uh, because I know you went to Alaska. We ran into each other up at. BHA rendezvous, and you were leaving the next week to go black bear hunting. Uh, yeah, so yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Alaska's, I'd say it's numero uno on my my bucket list of uh, you know the next place I want to hunt. And black bears probably about as affordable as it gets. Maybe caribou. Um, you know, we're not so, talking about a twenty thousand dollar moose hunt or brown bear hunt. Uh, yeah. But, so talk about your experience and how attainable oh, that is for our listening audience. You know, it it was incredible, you know, and, and you know, we did a podcast on it, you know, on the Vortex Nation podcast kinda of talked about the hunt mm-hmm. in depth. But, you know, that's that's one thing, you know, you're talking about Alaska being a bucket list thing and I, I feel like I talked to so many folks that are like, Oh man, someday I'm gonna get up there, you know, it's like 
but, but people talk about it in the context of this once in a lifetime event that there's some get someday going to go do. And, and my advice is figure out, I don't care what it is. I don't care if you go up there and fish, sightsee, uh, hunt. I mean, I guess, you know, if I was going to pick, you know, the two things that I'd do up there, it'd be fishing or hunting or both at the same time, because mm-hmm. you can combo those up as you can on this black bear hunt that we're about to talk about. But, um, it is just such an amazing, grand, rich place. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong. It can be dangerous that, you know, I might try to kill you every now and again too, but, um, it's, uh, it's, I just, I can't tell people enough to get up there because if you do get up there and you're fortunate enough to get up there, it, I just, I guarantee it's not going to be the last time, you, hmm. you know, I was you're going to be planning your, your next trip before you leave, whether it's the same trip or something new. So the state is so diverse in its landscape and, and, you know, the game that's there. I mean, I mean, there's just, there's, there's not enough time. I don't even think if you lived in Alaska, you'd have enough time to explore that place. It's it's pretty, pretty neat. My wife's going to kill me when I finally go because like, uh, you know, the South Africa thing's now in my blood and yep. now I'm itching to explore other countries in Africa. And I have a feeling that uh, Alaska is going to be the exact same way. Now I've got to get, Oh yeah. Now I've got to make my annual trip to Alaska, honey. And she's gonna be like, all right, we'll, we'll see if I'm still here when you get back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like that, that yeah, it's just it, that's just the way it is though yeah you know? so but um so yeah this hunt it was an awesome hunt uh it actually so um it was a draw hunt so it actually took me a couple of years before i finally drew it um there's a lot of areas in alaska where you can hunt black bears where it's just it's over the counter so um definitely keep that in mind um logistically you know i mean where we were at was somewhat remote and we had a you know kind of i guess a special set of tools i actually went up there with uh well i've got my my buddy uh jesse who lives on the island Mm -hmm. and then uh rob insley who he actually co-hosts uh outdoor line radio out of downtown seattle so i guess plug for those guys on your radio show but uh uh it's cool i guess uh pacific northwest oriented um radio show if, if you're looking for that type of content but um so we went up there Rob's actually, he's also a uh, 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 charter captain up there, Prince of Wales, uh, sport fishing. And so he had a, uh, a big uh, saltwater boat that we were able to use up there. So like I said, we kind of had a special set of tools, uh, got to just super remote southeast Alaska, made camp. And, what is the uh, travel experience like? I mean, obviously you're going from Wisconsin, but um, is that, you know, a one or two day commitment just getting there? You know, I guess for me, you know what, actually it was a two day. So, um, like I said, we're coming from, you know, kind of the, the Midwest here. So I went from, what did I, I went from Madison to, I want to say, uh, Denver, Denver, Seattle, Seattle, Ketchikan, and then overnighted in Ketchikan and, and then took, uh, took a smaller plane on the Island air over the next day. So, um, and that's just, I mean, that's kind of Alaska in general. I mean, that's probably one of the toughest aspects and things you need to overcome is, is the the travel logistics, um, particularly when you're doing, you know, a more remote hunt, uh, you're going to, your planes are going to get progressively smaller as you get closer to your final destination. Right. Right. Yeah, I'm gonna. I've never flown in a uh, a really small airplane. That's gonna change in October when I uh, go moose hunting in Newfoundland. So. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting, <laughs> for sure. But yeah, that's just the way it is in those remote places. Um, 
So you had to actually put in uh, trying to draw this tag, and that's specifically for Prince of Wales? Yeah, it was. It was. So it's, it's a draw hunt. Um, you know, it's definitely, you know, pretty tightly managed. Uh, you know, and I, I don't know necessarily what the odds are. I didn't draw the first time I put in. I drew the second time, and then I put in again, and I and I didn't draw. So, random, or are you build? Um, are you building points here? Nope, it's random. It's okay. random. Okay. Um, which I'd say I actually I prefer that. I think it. I think that's actually the system that ultimately makes the most sense. People might, some people might disagree with that, but um, I think a lot of these point systems are a little bit broken nowadays. But oh, I totally uh, agree. I agree. Though, with the only caveat being, at least it might give you a chance to get a sheep tag someday. Someday, but, yeah. I mean, you could put in, you know, and cross your fingers that you're randomly going to draw a sheep tag your entire life, and it never happened. But yeah, I'll be 65 by the time I draw one, so who knows if my knees will even be able to to take them out and on. Then it can be tricky, you know. And, and maybe there, maybe the answer is there's not a, there's just isn't a great system. You know what I mean? You got a a, very, a, a small resource and a lot of people who want it. You mm-hmm. know, anytime mm-hmm. you have that probably you know somewhat problematic but yeah. um but this, but this hunt you know like i said in, in the grand scheme of costs right um compared to you know some others you're you're gonna get away um you know not unscathed like i said you know you got a lot of travel expenditures and and things like that and everything's a little bit more expensive in alaska it seems but mm-hmm. um you know i think you do it for about you know probably three grand, four grand, you know, depending on, on how you were going to do it. You know, that's obviously unoutfitted. Right. Right. Well, you're fortunate because you, you had your buddy who's a resident, Mm -hmm. Uh, but Mm -hmm. you know, if you were to say, Hey, I want to go do a black bear hunt in, um, in Canada somewhere and you're going to go with an outfitter, you're going to spend between four and $6,000 regardless, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and that's whether you do spot and stock or sit in a tree over bait, it doesn't matter. They're all pretty much the same in that price range. So, you know, but you could have a really cool experience in Alaska, though. And I mean, you could fly into Anchorage and rent a car and access some of that, some breathtaking country and go hunt black bears or, you know, so there's there's definitely cheaper, more logistically friendly ways to do it. That's for sure. Right. right. Um, Southeast is just I mean, it just holds a special place in my heart, though. And and uh, it's uh, the, the land. I mean, anywhere you turn up in Alaska is breathtaking, but it's, it's pretty cool up there for sure. So are there. um brown bears on prince of wales island so that's a plus well i guess depending on if you want to see a brown bear then i guess it's not a plus but i'm okay generally not seeing them so uh there are, it's only black bears on the island so you're okay. only dealing with, with with the one species there um and you know i mean oftentimes it seems to me that you know they don't really tolerate each other that well so if you've got a you know high density of brown bears you're probably not going to be seeing too many black bears at least that's been my experience but um like i said there's other people that live up there that might have other perspectives or or be a little bit more well versed in the subject than i am but that's that's what i've seen so but the, so on the island it is isolated enough that there are only black bears uh-huh. well my, my black bear hunting is not as as versed as yours my experience has been canada and alberta and then montana and montana oh, awesome. was spot and stock and uh, going back to what you said about the brown bears, we saw more grizzlies than we did black bear on that hunt. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So wow. came home empty handed, but I got to see my first grizzlies. And um, fortunately, m- most of them were through my vortex spotting scope, uh, <laughs> which that was cool enough, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bringing them up close and personal, but in a, not up 
close and personal way. That's probably how I prefer it. Yeah, yeah, perfect. But well, yeah. So, did you harvest a bear on this hunt? So I did. Super fortunate. Um, like I said, we got to a really remote part of the island. Uh, we were seeing um, a good number of bears. Uh, most of them were, you know, really nice boars. Uh, we went earlier in the year, which I think is going to be. You might see less bears, but I think they're likely to be kind of larger boars. So mm-hmm. you kind of a little bit of a trade-off there. But um, yeah, we saw, um, you know, a, a good amount of bears, and and uh, we were able to, you know, um, harvest uh, a few of them, and it just yeah, kind of kind of worked out better. Had really good weather for uh, you know the time that we were spent hunting, which is um, definitely not always the case in Alaska. You know, and then Southeast Alaska is pretty. You know, you've got the marine environment there, so you know, kind of have an extra layer of of weather uh, uh, fickleness. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we were we were super blessed. So, and what caliber did you take on that? You know, so I I shot uh, a twenty eight nozzler, which I guess uh, you know, I guess in in the uh, uh, is a relatively new cartridge. You know, it's been around a few years, but it's a high stepping high stepping cartridge, uh, and uh, you know, of course, you know, probably didn't need you know as much gun i think the shot i took was probably like it's it's known for it's like a really good long range cartridge i guess mm-hmm. you know, i think you can always use enough oh it's all the rage right now for sure for for dangerous game but yeah i think the shot that i took uh put a stock on this bear and got in fairly close it was like 230 yards something like that and got a really solid rest and squeezed it off and he ran about 20 yards uh towards us actually i, I mean i think it was just it was just running but and then uh tipped over so it's couldn't it couldn't have gone better died on the beach you know i mean that's another kind of interesting thing about that hunt in that time of year those bears are coming down they're coming out of hibernation and they're coming down uh to the beaches in the afternoon and they're feeding on uh you know kelp and and grass like uh kind of you know grass grows in the back ends of these uh tidal flats so they're heavy on the grass and uh, a lot of the bears that we were seeing were actually flipping a lot of rocks and logs uh eating uh eating crabs so. okay yeah, right on Right so on. it's definitely a unique hunt in that regard. You know, not not too many. I don't think in too many places you're shooting, you know, bears on saltwater beaches. Right, right. Well, so I know we we've talked in uh, previous discussions about. I think it was a a blacktail hunt that you did, and you lost the majority, or might have lost the whole deer to a bear. Isn't that right? Am I remembering that correctly? So yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty crazy. But so yeah, I was actually again with my buddy Jesse. We bombed into uh, uh, a lake and then hiked into the Alpine. And again, you know, we talk about weather. We had tons of, you know, bad weather. Uh, we really only had one hunt day out of five days that we spent up there because we were just socked into our tent. The, the fog was just so thick it wasn't safe to move. Um, I was fortunate. I I got a buck on the one day that we really were able to hunt. We hung it off uh, a cliff because there weren't really any trees in the Alpine, so we hung it off a cliff in game bank. We had it boned out, and uh, we ended up spending an extra day up there um, due to weather. We were supposed to hike back down to the lake, you know, one day and just, you know, couldn't move, and so we called on the sat phone and had the plane, uh, which he just wouldn't have been able to get in anyway, but we just let him know where our plan was, and the half when we went to get the meat, the day we were going to punch out, it was uh, it was gone, and it was, yeah, that, I mean, that, and this I mean, was a black bear that took it? Yeah, so there there are black bears. We ran into a lot of black bears up there. Um, and I'd say I, I don't think this is necessarily a common incident, but I mean it, it happened to us. And yeah. and uh, so yeah, they, I mean the game bags were gone. We scoured the hillside, you know, <laughs> just looking for just some 
shred of, you know, trying to recover at least part of it. But I, I think, I always say, I think they actually ate the game bags. I think they consumed them because we didn't find anything. The head was gone, everything. So, but I got some awesome pictures. It was awesome. It was super fun hunt. <laughs> right. I guess it made the pack out easy, not what we wanted. But. Yeah. Well, so I guess that was my, my next question was whether or not you faced, uh, you know, the possible theft of your bear. Or I know you guys got, I think, three bears on this trip. Uh, yeah. Were other bears interested in taking the meat cash? You know, so um, having the boat, so we actually had some coolers on the boat. So when mm-hmm. we were able to get bears, we'd actually, uh, you know, get them cut up, boned out, and then uh, keep them on the boat, which was uh, anchored. So okay. um, that was that was a really nice thing. But, yeah, we didn't have – we had one bear um, – kind of like around camp that was really curious one day but other than that they, they pretty much left us alone so you're so. camping on the shore yeah mm-hmm. okay right on well it sounds like uh certainly i mean prince of wales is one of those places that i think every outdoorsman hears about and they have amazing bear hunting and lots of bears and uh for for what like what you said price wise um certainly affordable it's doable. There's a road system on the island, right? So you can definitely go on on a hunt and and utilize the road system. You know, again, you're you're gonna have to get there, and you'll you'll need you know some sort of accommodations. You can camp um, as well. Um, you'll probably need a rental car, you know, which you can get you know in Ketchikan or or on the island. But um, and again, that's like a you know decreases the layer of logistics there. I mean, you're probably gonna have more competition. Because of that, you know, you're going to get less of that, uh, you know, super remote, isolated, you know, have it all to yourself experience. But mm-hmm. you're also, it's better than not doing it, you know. Yeah. Well, and so what was the size of the uh, the bear that you took? You know, I mean, I think he might have been pushing six feet uh, when we went to check him in. Um, you know, they pulled tooth. They measured his skull. I think they measured, measured his skull at 18, which actually that's one of the, it was actually probably the smallest bear that we shot we killed some really nice ones out there and actually in the grand scheme you know it's like prince of wales is such a different animal when it comes to these bears it just it really does have large black bears so you know anywhere else i mean you know that's darn near a giant you know oh my gosh um, yeah yeah you know up, up there they they get some they get some pretty big ones but yeah i mean just a beautiful bear awesome coat you know and, and uh you know got some great meat off it and uh it was I would say, you know, and I guess maybe I say it more and more, but, you know, up there, man, I'm, I'm hunting the place. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, the, where you're at and what you're experiencing, you know, that that's the trophy. Sure, sure. But, I mean, for p- people out there that are interested in trophy hunting, I mean, uh, 20 inches, I believe, is Boone and Crockett. So mm-hmm. if you're saying 18 was the smallest and that's an average size bear there, uh, that just goes to show you <laughs> there's some giants on the – on the island for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, but it's it's a neat spot for sure. So yeah. lots of like I said, great great bear hunting, great deer hunting. Uh, the fishing is off the charts. Uh, no, any anybody who likes the outdoors and and you know pristine beautiful places, um, it'd be it'd be one of my top picks. And did you sure. guys have a chance to wet a line or not? We did. So we did a little bit of salmon fishing with Rob, which um, he knows his craft very well. And uh, yeah, so we did uh, banged out some kings in pretty short order. And, and uh, it was, uh, it was a good time. Like I said, you can, I mean, there's just so much, I mean, you can 
hunt, you can fish, you can crab, you can, you know, shrink, you know, if you've got, you know, pot, it's, it's just, uh, you, you could fill every hour of the day with an outdoor activity. (laughs) So I certainly enjoyed hearing about your, uh, black bear hunt in Alaska, Prince of Wales Island. Um, some great info there for folks who are looking to experience the, uh, the last great frontier for themselves. Let's transition now though. And, Talk about some of the uh, t- well tools that I'm sure you took on on that hunt, and um, one specifically that I well actually two that I just took to South Africa, um, and let's start with the the Fury HD binos. Uh, it's got the laser rangefinder, which um, was was pretty cool because I had one of the PHs there, and uh, and I'll be honest with you, some of these guys are like Swarovski like snobs, and they like look at my vortex and they're like hmm kind of turn their nose up to it. And I'm like, you don't know, you know what you're missing. But one of the guys, he was, he had actually done a little research and he wanted to check that fury out. Next thing you know, he's uh handed me a, a huge wad of cash and was like, can you get this to the, my next client that comes over here? <laughs> <laughs> so he was sold on it in short order, man. And uh, yeah. Well, that's a heck of an endorsement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just like, it's like anything. Um, Vortex hasn't been around as long as the, some of the other ones, and they only know what they know. And I, it's probably harder for them to get in in South Africa. But uh, I I was a little nervous. It was like when I flew to New York to ask my wife to marry me, I had this ring in my pocket, and then now I've got this guy's huge wad of cash, which I was even more nervous because it wasn't mine, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, that's a funny story, man. I love it though. Yeah. Um, Always oh, like so, checking to make sure it's still there in my pocket, like you know. And you're on a plane for 25 hours. So. Oh my gosh! I mean, uh, when I got married, man, whatever. I've never been so nervous about having something in my pocket in that ring, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's or crazy. Or they engaged, whatever you want to call it. But um, yeah. But uh, yeah, 100% right on that. So what uh, what you're talking about? This is the Fury HD 5000. Um, it's the latest iteration of the Fury uh, HD range finding binocular. Uh, the 5000. Uh, pretty intuitively denotes its maximum, uh, maximum range. So you can, you know, you can range, uh, reflective, uh, targets out to 5,000 yards. Um, it's an extremely clean display, uh, super fast readout. Uh, you've got, uh, 0.1, 0.1 yardage or meter, uh, readings out to, out to 999. Uh, golly, I mean, if you have a need for a range finding binocular, which a lot of folks do, it's a really, really great one to look at. And, you know, as far as looking at or looking through optically, it does really, really well. So it's kind of a total package. It's it's a nice one. Absolutely. And I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Do you think that this piece has been more popular with rifle or, or bow hunters? You know, I mean, it it definitely crosses over into both genres, uh, and, and I've used it for both. I'd say for me personally, like, I feel like it signs, you know, in a rifle scenario. Um, if I was an outfitter or a guide, I would for sure have a range-finding binocular. I mean, it just really comes in so handy, you know, particularly in scenarios where, and I guess it doesn't have to be, but, you know, uh, folks are really uh, extending their effective range uh nowadays and and to have the ability to you know if you or i i are are hunting together right and let's say you're the shooter and i can be like hey man he's at you know 450 okay 475 okay he just turned he's at 490 you know dial your turret 
and let it rip. And, you know, I can, I can be just calling those ranges out, watching that animal real time, uh, letting you know if it was a hit or a miss or, or maybe, you know, maybe not an, an ideal hit. Uh, you can watch where the animal goes, uh, you know, and, and instead of, you know, having to switch back and forth between yeah. the binoculars in, it's just, it's a, it's a time saver. It's really efficient. Um, and just, it can be really an invaluable tool to have in the field. Absolutely. And and I was just going to say, like, I, I've found it to be more advantageous uh, rifle hunting because when I'm bow hunting, a lot of times I don't even use my binos. I mean, I, I've always got them um, on my chest, Yeah. but I, I still want, I want to be able to just use the one hand. And so that's why I'm also excited about the uh, Razor 4000 HD rangefinder, yeah. uh, which I also took on that trip and got to play around a little bit with it. Um, didn't really, to be honest with you, didn't need it quite as much because, like I said, I was rifle hunting, and so uh, the Furies were were my go-to. Um, uh-huh. But uh, certainly got to play around with it at the lodge, and and uh, um, once again, PHs were kind of like, well, let me see that, you know, you know, kind of like, yeah, very interested in in it. So um, they were all pretty impressed. Awesome, awesome. No, I mean, yeah, you nailed it. I mean, that thing is an extremely capable handheld rangefinder. Um, it's definitely the best one that I've ever used. Uh, you know, so it's the Razor HD 4000, similar to Furies, and you've got a 4,000 yard max reflective range. Uh, the optics in it are stunning. Uh, it's a seven power rangefinder. Um, Another reason why, you, you know, I can look at a buck and it's going to, you know, bring that into much clearer uh, picture for me just through looking through the rangefinder. So, bow hunting wise, you know, maybe um, not always using the binos. Yeah, I mean, you can you can use it, you know, as an optic, you know, in bow hunting scenarios. And oftentimes, you know, you don't want a ton of magnification. Generally, you're in in fairly tight quarters, you know, fairly tight cover. Your subjects, you know, can be a lot closer, particularly if it's kind of game time and you're trying to get that range right. You know, you kind of things are. Uh, happening in the now when you're trying to execute that shot and hopefully harvest that animal. So, but yeah, the optics are stunning. It's lightweight. It's got a magnesium uh, chassis. Uh, it's got the utility clip on the side, which actually comes in super, super handy. Uh, the readout is, cr- I mean, you, well, you've experienced, I just let mm-hmm. you talk about it. The readout is super fast. You know, we were actually had it out in Idaho just this last week um, or a couple weeks ago. And, you know, you're like, bam, 2,200 yards, bam, 2,400 yards. Um, it's just, uh, it's pretty crazy. You got point ones out to 199 with that. So um, for people who are doing target archery and really wanting to get those little bit more specific ranges, you know, you can, uh, you'll you'll have point one yardage or meter increment. Yeah, certainly uh, noticed that. Uh-huh. Um, I love it. I mean, it, it's been, I'm, you know, I get excited about a lot of our stuff. I'm really excited about this one. I think there's going to be a lot of bow hunters that are really, really uh, stoked to to have that this fall. Yeah, and you know, going back to what you said about the quick readout, and this isn't a knock on on older models like the Ranger. I don't remember which model it was that I had. Uh, we still have it's in my closet. It's been semi-retired. I had like the original. Yeah. Ranger 1000, which there's been a few iterations from that even. Yeah, which at the time, you know, uh, was the best thing out there. But you talk about quick readout. I mean, <laughs> the the uh, Razor 4000, absolutely incredible. So it's almost it's almost so fast that it surprises me. You, you know, even at like uh, even at those ex- 
because, you know, you think, oh, 2,200 yards or 24 or 3,000 yards, you know, whatever it is. Like, but it's like, it's all, it's instantaneous. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I might, I maybe shouldn't say this on the air, but I'm, I'm going to anyway. So, um, I was on this clip springer hunt in the, in the mountains and okay. it's a tiny little, about 20 to 25 pound antelope. And we talk about like, um, needing a great optic. Well, the ram's horns are like three to four inches, so it's very hard to differentiate the uh, the male from the female. Okay. Um, so the furies came in handy, first of all, there. And then secondly, I forgot my sandbag, which is like a huge no-no. Your PH looks at you, and he's like, where's the sandbag? And you're like, <laughs> um, in the truck? <laughs> and uh, he he was less than impressed. But I uh, immediately just took my furies off and used those. It actually made for a better more sturdy rest there under the uh, butt of my uh, rifle than the sandbag sure. ever did. And so just, uh, you know, in a pinch served as a, <laughs> as a sandbag too. But I don't think I would have done that if Vortex didn't have a lifetime transferable warranty. So, yeah. so It's not like I put the caps back on, you know. I just, like, dug it in and was like, well, we got to get this done. <laughs> it's now or never. Well, and that's just it, man. I mean, and that's, you know, and that's hunting or, you know, I mean, it's, nothing is uh it's a very fluid environment you got to shift on the fly and so uh i thought the furies were uh, extremely versatile already and there's just another uh another, <laughs> another thing you can use them for but yeah that's awesome so and like you said i mean we we get that right we get that you know our products aren't going to be used in oftentimes the most friendly environments or heck you know sometimes like you said they might be used in the pinch for maybe not their intended application right um but that's why we do have the, you know, the Vortex VIP warranty, which uh, is, you know, we talk about all the time. That's truly a lifetime, unconditional, no fault, transferable warranty. If you're a Vortex customer, we're going to take care of you. Um, we try to build our stuff so you never have to use it. But, you know, wild things do happen, and and, uh, and we know that, and we're definitely going to take care of you. And, and generally, if a person does have an issue, you know, they're, they're going to see, once we receive that product, um, you know, they'll, they'll, it'll be on its way back to them in less than 10 days. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It is the best that there is, no doubt about that. Um, as we're wrapping things up, Mark, one other thing to mention. I saw a little teaser on the Vortex Instagram page. Uh, there's a new bino that is coming out. I don't even know the name of it, um, but maybe tell us a little bit about that. So, yeah, so, yeah, if anybody's interested, which I think if you like, super high-end, top-tier binoculars, then you will be interested. Check out our social channels. You can kind of get a, a sneak peek of a new binocular uh, that'll be coming out here in the very near future. I can't talk about it all that much. I can tell you that I used it uh, on that black bear hunt up in Alaska and on a different black bear hunt uh, in Idaho this year. Uh, the optics are absolutely stunning. It's off the charts, mind-blowing. Um I'm super stoked on those as well. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of great stuff. And, uh, this has just been, uh, I'm, I've been like in a, a kid in the candy store, you know, like I know I sit in my <laughs> vortex chair, but these are, these are some pretty impressive items and we're pretty excited about them. Awesome, man. Well, we will look forward to uh, hearing and seeing more about that. Like we said, don't even know the name, but, uh, folks can check out the little teaser there on y'all's social outlets. Mark, always a pleasure, brother. And, uh, I think I'm going to try to come up to uh to see vortex headquarters here in july so looking forward to seeing everything firsthand for myself as far as um you know where everything begins the origin origin of it all for uh for vortex optics 
Absolutely, Cable. Nope, can't wait, man. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll have a blast for sure. It'll be a good time. All right, brother. Well, hey, thanks again. All right, man. Nope, thank you. Take care, and we'll talk soon, okay? So there he goes, our good friend, Mark Boardman of Vortex Optics. Uh, that segment, by the way, proudly brought to you by another optics company, but one that uh, Vortex doesn't dabble in. I'm talking about Pulsar, night vision, and thermal imaging. That's what they do. They light up the night. So whether you're looking for night vision or thermal imaging, like the new Thermion 30-millimeter rifle scope, Pulsar has you covered. That's right. They do it all, and they do it well. And here's the bonus. Whether you want night vision or thermal, it doesn't matter. When you check out at PulsarNV.com, if you use the promo code LONESTAR, that's LONESTAR, you'll get 20% off your order and free shipping. Check it out, PulsarNV.com. Up next, I will sit down with one of my favorite individuals from John X Safaris. Uh, I only know him as Bless. I don't know his last name. I'll be honest with you. But he's a larger-than-life and certainly affable character. And so we'll look at sustainable use hunting through his eyes and its impact on his family and the local community. And we'll do that next with my friend and tracker and skinner Bless right here. On the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Guess I'll meet you in the middle. Well, ain't nobody told me it'd be this hard. Guess I'll meet you in the middle. Hey, y'all, spring is here, and that means a lot of things, but specifically, your lawn is about to become your own worst nightmare. That's why I use JC's Landscaping. They do everything from lawn and landscape maintenance to fertilization and weed control. New premium sod installations. Hey, you need a French drain? I had to have them put in a French drain a couple years ago. They do that, too. Landscaping updates, makeovers, stone borders, patios, and much more. Serving the North Dallas and surrounding areas, you can find them at jclandscapingllc.com and tell them cable sent you. We stayed out all night and fought like dogs. We drank like fish and loved like hogs. What a tropical life for a man to live. All right. But sometimes I'm all right. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to the One Star. Our show powered by the Dallas Safari Club, Luke Bell. Sometimes I'm in that one. We are all set to head back to the dark continent and check in with my friend Bless, a tracker over at John X Safaris, something we've never done before. As we take a first-hand look at what this career choice, this really opportunity means to a guy like Bless and to his family, um, because let me be very clear, um, South Africa is a third world country and the distribution of wealth between upper class and the average guy on the streets is significant. So when you have a an outfitter like John X employing 20 to 30 to who knows 50, I don't know how many people Carl has on staff, but it's a lot. It's significant. Every one of those folks is grateful for that opportunity which whether you're cooking in the kitchen, whether you're the maid in the lodge, or you are a tracker, a skinner, or the ranch foreman, uh, you could just be you know, digging ditches and or, or laying fence. Whatever the case, that job is facilitated 
by sustainable use hunting. And so I'm excited to have Bless on the show. And we actually taped this interview in the library there at the John X headquarters at the Woodlands there on South Africa's Eastern Cape. And we're going to take a listen to that conversation here momentarily. And I do apologize. Um, Bless is fluent in English. I can understand him very easily when it's me and him just conversing uh, mano a mano. It might not translate 100% on the radio, um, but I feel like it's something that is worth sharing. So uh, we're going to do that in just a second. But first, this segment is proudly brought to you by Vortex Optics. That's right. Check out the Vortex Fury 10 by 42 range finding binocular laser range finder built in to this optic. Um, invaluable tool, like I've said in the previous segment, it's what I used on my safari to South Africa. And really, I mean, it's what I use every time I go into the field these days. Check it out. It's the Vortex Fury range finding binocular, and you can find it at vortexoptics.com. With that being said, let me go ahead and welcome the very nervous. He has never done this before, but we're going to put him on the spot. It's my pleasure to welcome tracker, scanner, extraordinaire, Bless to the show. So yeah, (laughs) Bless, put the microphone to your face like this. Bless like this. Like this. (laughs) Come on, dude. Uh, It's harmless. I'll be gentle. Okay. Okay. All right. So we're going to start. I'm going to, don't be nervous. Okay. So no big deal. All right. But you must remember, I'm not speaking English well. Eh? You speak English well enough. No. Yes, you do. No. Yep. All right. Are you ready? As you'll ever be, I suppose. All right. Well, bless. Um, if you want to start by telling me your full name in your native tongue. Uh, my name is Simpiwe Valiso. Uh huh. It's an English name. My father gave me this name, Bless. And where are you from exactly? I'm from East London. East London. Yes. Okay. When did you become involved with the hunting industry as far as, you know, tracking? And, and I don't know if your first job was with, with uh, John X or, or with Greg or if you worked uh, somewhere else. Yeah, I was working in somewhere else before working for Greg. Uh-huh. Uh, so now it's 11 years I'm working for John X Safari. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. So let me ask you this. What is your, what is your favorite part about your job? What do you like the most? Uh, I like this job I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I'm, do you enjoy glassing? Do you like that aspect of it? Because that's one thing that j- the trackers are, a, a lot of people might not realize, is that you guys are not just out there looking for you know wounded animals or, or tracking game that you're trying to put a hunter on. You spend a lot of time behind the optics looking. Yes, but I'm like glassing, but only I like much uh, as uh, skinning. You like skinning? Yes. Really? To sit down to skinning well, you know. Uh huh. So working, working on the animal, you like that? Yes. Uh huh. Yes. And what about the the butchering aspect? Do you like that as far as getting the 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 cuts ready for the kitchen? No, I'm not looking for. I'm looking for skinning only. <laughs> okay, you only do the skinning. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. What uh what is your what is your least favorite part about uh about your job? What do you not like? Uh, I don't understand. No? Bless. Come on. I know you understand me. You're looking at me. You're smiling, grinning ear to ear. What is your least favorite part about your job? It's okay. No, I like to tracking animals. If you're shooting, you win that. I like to tracking. 
You like it when, if it's wounded, that's a good opportunity for mm-hmm. you to, to do your job. Oh, uh-huh. uh-huh. Okay. But so what do you not like? What does he not like? <laughs> is, is, does Greg too hard on you? Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes, Sometimes he is. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> is it physically demanding work? Do you have to be strong? Making exercise early in the morning, go to gym, come back, work. So reason I'm strong. So you, so you actually try to stay physically fit because of the job, I mean, you guys are in the back of the truck most of the day. You're lifting animals. You're lifting uh, the cooler into the truck. You're, you know, handing the gun to the hunter when 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 an animal is spotted. All of that stuff. I'm using a dumbbell to make it power. <laughs> So you're doing bicep curls? Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm using dumbbells in the morning, go to gym. Uh-huh. So. And I know that you were going for a run the other day mm-hmm. because we actually caught a lynx in a trap, and that's how they knew because you were up before the sun yes. going for a run. So you really take physical – you take care of yourself. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell when a, when a hunter comes from America – can you tell pretty quick if he's a good hunter or a bad one? Sometimes you go to the target, you can see the guys is pulling trigger in the, in the target. You see this guy is at the range before. Yeah, yeah. The range before. Uh-huh. So you see, see this one is shooting well. So. Yeah, yeah. You have you have kids? Yes, four kids. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Do you think that be, any any boys? Yeah, three boys, one girl. Would you want them to continue your legacy as, as a tracker? Yeah, I think so, but uh, traveling and you can't stay with your family. Uh-huh. So you can spend a lot of time without your family. So being a tracker requires you to spend a lot of time away from home, mm-hmm. from your family. Yeah. So that's probably one of the things that you... That's maybe, you st- maybe maybe you start hunting in March till end of October. So uh, November, December, January, February. You're staying with, I'm staying with my family. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. But then, once hunting starts, you're here pretty much full time. Look, I'm looking at you. Got a first light shirt on here. Look at this. Look at that. I've got the same one. Look at that. Oh, okay. Ah, first light. Yeah, that's my my favorite. Oh. Um, would you say that you make a good living? Um, like, is this a job that provides for your family well? Yeah. The, to me, this job making my family to. Because uh, I don't have a good job if I'm not, not, not hunting, uh, uh-huh. you know. And uh, I'm starting maybe March, then closing the uh, October. The difficult time to me is uh, oct- uh, the October, November. It's uh, Christmas time, uh-huh. and the kids need the money that yeah. time. Yeah. So the, I'm using my tip to give to buy my kids for clothes for December. Your tips. And, yes. Uh-huh. And January again is the, the time my. School kids to go to back to school yeah so so you got to save you got to yeah, save in this. yeah because it's mm-hmm. a very seasonal job mm-hmm. uh-huh wow um well, well bless i certainly appreciate it man we've we've actually never gotten to hunt together because carl has a different tracker but uh, you seem to be very well respected uh, among the trackers and and obviously uh you're a very very fluent in English, so no, not English well, but I try to. <laughs> Everybody must know and understand, but my English is yeah, it's poor. So well, we certainly appreciate your time today, man, and uh, I look forward to seeing you again next year. I think so. I hope so. Yes, sir. If I not die. <laughs> so bless. Obviously, I I don't know anything about your native tongue. I know that it's uh, very very different from from English but yes. if you tell why don't you uh 
like describe i don't know uh say you're glassing a kudu up on on a ridge mm-hmm. what would that sound like in your native tongue if you're trying to tell greg where it is you found it in the binos you're trying to tell greg to- yeah between me and greg, uh, greg using speak my language closer uh-huh Okay. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks again, bless. Okay, thank you. So there he goes, my good friend and tracker, bless. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. That would be an insult, but... Uh, now, hopefully, you can experience it and, and understand firsthand what sustainable use and even trophy hunting means to the local economies in Africa. It's mind blowing the amount of jobs and commerce that is created. I mean, entire communities depend on that activity, that practice of sustainable use hunting. By and large, Americans, 90 to 95% of, of hunters are American coming to Africa to experience their wildlife. And, and this that could even be for a photo safari. You don't have to be pulling the trigger. And as Bless mentioned, I mean, he lives off of his salary, and then when it's time you know, for the off-season, they live, his entire family, four kids, live off of his tips. Which, let me, let me give you an idea of how much they make. Um, it's not a lot. It's about $3,000 a year on salary plus their tips so they are very very grateful when you give them a tip say it's uh 200 bucks for the entire week that's that is a drop in the bucket for someone that's already going to africa anyway that's a lot of money for them and so and and havilon knives oh my gosh um from the skinning aspect if you can take havilon blades or uh, a knife for them it is invaluable it's very much appreciated but uh, anyway, uh, I love these people. I love the African people, whether they're the descendants of the Dutch, like Carl and, and Greg, or whether they're uh, Native Africans, like like Bless and my tracker Sandili. Um, it's an amazing country, and and the people are full of enthusiasm, and they love the thrill of a hunt, just like we do in America. It's no different. Uh, truly. Truly grateful to call them friends. And that segment of the show, by the way, was proudly brought to you by Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to all of our guests today. Uh, Kaylee Grant of One Ocean Diving. Mark Boardman of Vortex Optics. And Bless, a longtime tracker for John X Safaris. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith, and y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Oh, friend, you can always call. Oh, friend, Lord, you can't find.